Hey everybody, it's the Proletariat Lariat, and it's your host, CB, along with Zach, the Outback Man, and Maria, and DQ. Welcome. Uh, we've been gone for a bit, because we were doing some live shows. We went to a pay-per-view, well, some of us went to pay-per-view. Other, uh, the rest of us went to an LA show, and it was pretty great. Uh, how are you doing, Zach? I'm doing great, like, I... I can't. I can't believe we did it two years, two weeks ago. It feels like already a year ago that we went to the Vegas. It was wonderful meeting most of my comrades in person. I'm bummed I didn't see UCB like next year. <laughs> yeah, I'm bummed that I didn't see you either. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was a wonderful time. Vegas was just like I've been there once. It was the first time in seven years I've been there. It's uh, really hot in May, but. Uh, yeah, no, it was good to see everyone and meet everyone and like hang out. And obviously, wrestling is pretty good. <laughs> um, yeah, and then like since we've been back, just like kind of like laying plans for some local organizing stuff that has kept me busy, really. Um, but yeah, DQ, how's it been for you? It was good. I just got a note from Creative. It looks like we don't have anything for Austin this week, which. I hate to be the bearer. I feel like I'm always the bearer of bad news. But I, yeah, I had fun in Vegas, even though they nickel and dimed us for every cent they could get. Now they haven't been since they started charging for parking and drinks and everything. So that was a drag. But it was nice to converge upon Sin City uh, with our East Coast uh, squad. And happy to be back. I got COVID there and what what happened in Super vegas dear. yeah it came home it didn't stay in vegas so that myth was busted as well yeah uh this week's episode is a basically a plague special episode <laughs> a plague of sickness and injuries for the cast and crew uh including the podcast um some of us got covid I myself have gallstones and ear infections, so, you know, a uh, great time was had by all <laughs> the last two weeks. Um, so yeah, let's talk about Vegas and LA. Who wants to t- go first? I mean, it was really nice visiting Vegas also because they have such a great chapter, it felt like, in contrast to LA. Uh, it was nice to see, like, what a healthy functioning chapter who can do mutual aid, who can do all this work and, like, hang out together um, can actually look like. I felt like that was, like, first of all, besides the fact that we couldn't get water anywhere and stuff like that and being charged for, like, walking anywhere, that was, like, the biggest difference that I noticed going to Vegas and, like, it was cool. Wait, you got charged for walking? I was kidding. <laughs> okay. Essentially. I was just saying. Yeah, like it was like literally like, oh, you breathe? Uh, all right, all right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, everybody's charging prices for everything nowadays. So <laughs> Apparently, I'm really gullible today. I'm filling in for Austin. <laughs> so. Yeah. Burn. It was, again, great to meet the comrades in Vegas. It was like... Um, where Memorial Day we hung out like at uh, Kara shout out to Comrade Kara from Vegas DSA and it was crazy that it was like at least this whole trip I probably met people from six different chapters 
or actually oh. eight if you want to say people who like moved to vegas recently but were from older chapters so it was nice to meet them and ha hear all their stories vegas is just like even when they have the drama it's out when they tell it to me it was just so quaint it was just like oh that's that's not bad at all that's just uh <laughs> i wish I, that was my problems um yeah um yeah, <laughs> It was just nice being, um, I was there for six nights and it was just nice to like, like go to the strip, occasionally walk, get a nice walk in. Um, got to like, one of my more important things was my side trip was going up to Bryce Canyon. That was like a big goal of mine with Austin. I was able, finally able to do it on Tuesday, the day before. And it was a nice drive. I actually went through Zion. It was like a side trip because a couple of comrades from Memphis going that way too and we made it all the way to Bryce at like 4 p.m. and it was crazy it was just like it was seven years ago there's still Ponderosa Point there's still that raven there seven years ago you can walk up to it you could pet it if you want but I didn't yeah. I'd say I want to get pecked or something but <laughs> it was a really wonderful um, I'd say my only low light I mean one of my few low lights was my flight to Vegas um like I took American Airlines. I was supposed to take a flight from Pittsburgh to Charlotte, to Charlotte to Vegas. And the flight from Pittsburgh to Charlotte got delayed enough that I couldn't make it to the one from Charlotte to Vegas. Um, and they told me, oh, you can go to Charlotte and then wait till seven in the morning to take the flight to Vegas. I was like, I'm not doing that. And I just, I just like, I went over to the Southwest and I bit the bullet and spent $400 to buy a ticket to go from Pittsburgh to Chicago, Chicago to Vegas. And next time I do this, I'm definitely gonna get one that has way bigger room, like a uh, leg room. So I was really sore by the time I got to Vegas. We also, as a as a crew, a few of us, um, our car full of us went over to Red Rock. So we got to see um, some hieroglyphs and petroglyphs. Uh, 800 years old plus, um, including a drawing of a penis, which is very, uh, was very obvious it was a drawing of a penis. So it's nice to see humans don't change. Uh, as, so that was really fun. Uh, yeah, low light being that CB could not make it, obviously. That that was a drag, um, but totally understandable. Uh, more just the, the spiritual uh, drag of not having our full crew um, so hopefully we can do that. Um, <laughs> we can do that uh, when it works out uh, next time. But it, yeah, we uh, we stumbled into a rampage. We saw the the Friday before the pay per view, um, which is a actually it was fun because we got in for like ten bucks each on StubHub, but. Also, uh, another drag because the wrestling audience kind of reared its ugly head. Uh, kind of the traditional sexist kind of wrestling vibe. There was a some a fan in the audience that you can pretty much hear on the broadcast from what I've heard. It was chanting like boring and all kinds of whatever crossed her mind. Uh, she, she was very loud and, and um, yeah, it was just very loud, but did not uh, did not warrant the the masochistic kind of vitriol that came her way, and uh, it just kind of felt like a wrestling fan after all 
kind of crowd. Um, once one person shouted something obscene towards her, more people did. And then the dude sitting next to her kind of looked like, I don't know, dude, I didn't come with her. And it's just like, oh man, we're, we're still, yeah. I mean, this, not that I thought the AEW crowds were like super, super progressive or anything, but we had a little bit higher hopes. But that was one of the early drags for me. Yeah, I think going off of that like show too, I mean, I was surprised how much fun I had at that show because normally I don't watch that show on Fridays. Um, <laughs> but like the other thing besides that that was weird to me was like, I hadn't picked up on this in the sh- at the, like watching the show before, but uh, Tony Khan, the owner came out a couple of times mm. and <laughs> was extremely excited. Um, so that was a thing, but also like, the crowd kept chanting like Tony Khan's name, which felt so strange to me, like as a fan of AEW and like what they've done. And I think Tony kind of like cares about this stuff and like has done good shit, probably like relatively speaking. But like, I would never, never start like chanting his name. Like he's just some like company owner. And that felt so weird to me. I don't know. Very bootlicky vibes. There's something going on there. Yeah, it just feels like a cult of personality type deal where it's just like, I just roll my eyes because I saw I've seen it worse at a Pittsburgh show where like Justin Roberts would announce him as like the savior of pro wrestling. It was it's gone toned down if you could believe that like since then like it's but yeah um, that was a nice show. I mean uh, we kind of waltzed into it because I was like I was saying I was just coming here to go to the aquarium and I saw it was like. $29 and like I was like yeah no one else wants to come with me to this so let's just go to a wrestling show I'm always like going to the uh other drag is just how again how expensive things are in Vegas like especially food places <laughs> um so we'll say like that uh, place in the Cosmopolitan was so good that like when we flew up before we flew out Austin and me and Trey went to it again <laughs> we went there and Thankfully, I didn't have the bill because uh, I would had a heart attack if I did. Um, <laughs> it's nice. That's an interesting place if you just walk. It's nice to walk around. Like it feels like I only scratched the surface, really. Yeah, I mean, to, I mean, we all watched the pay per view even if we weren't there, right? So, what was? How were people feeling? Like highlights and lowlights of the actual show. I would say one of the highlights was, in terms of pure matches, like I think my favorite was probably the. Uh, House of Black versus the uh, Death Triangle match. I just like the trio style. I like that. I like they finally p- paid off the Julie, dark Julia Hart thing. And I, I've been watching the Division Entities, and she's really good in the role. I'm really happy for that. And it just, I like that shit. I like just the pseudo spooky stuff. <laughs> like the, uh, they had a really cool entrance. Um, they all wore face paint and had cool skull masks. So that was cool. Um, low light would probably be drag. Like the show drag. I mean, it wasn't that. Like people were talking. It was a long show, and I'm trying to think. Of nothing really like was that bad. Maybe the Samojo Am Cole match was a little subpar. Surprise! I was also out there when the surprise was the uh, Kaz uh, Sammy Guevara. High versus the Americans top team like that over delivered I thought <laughs> like it was like the story was still dog shit but like the, uh, <laughs> it, the uh, 
they were able to like work a match and get the crowd. I thought the crowd would just be dead silent for it or like turn up, but they were able to win over the crowd. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna just say uh, that I really bought into the. For some reason, I bought into the Anna J Jade Cargo <laughs> match. I almost thought that Anna J was gonna pull it off. Uh, and I think that's one of the things that I can enjoy about wrestling is you know, even though you know it's not gonna happen, you can. You could almost you can feel yourself being pulled into that, um, so that was really cool. Um, and then like, I think the low light for me I think was trying to keep track of everything that was happening in an art anarchy in the arena uh, at home. Uh, I know you guys had like the screens and everything. I you know we just had the one camera and. There was that one segment where <laughs> Eddie and uh, I forget who was fighting at the time got locked in the uh, freight elevator, uh, which was hilarious. Uh, but it was really hard just to keep track of all the stuff that was happening. And there was something else that I didn't like about the pay-per-view. Probably just the length because I'm a cranky old man. I really want my intermission so that I can get up and go to the bathroom. And... Um, they keep using the women's wrestling as the intermission, which I really don't like. But anyway, I'll pass it over to Maria. No, that anarchy in the arena was so good. Um, yeah, it was amazing uh, until we're not going to acknowledge how it ended because that's fake. Uh, that person did not win anything. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was interesting to kind of like what you were just saying, CB, like the... It was so obvious that Britt was going to win against DMD, or Britt was going to win against Ruby Soho because she was wearing the Owen Hart collars and Adam Cole just won. Like, it, but like there's something about that match at some points where I was like, maybe they are going to let Ruby win, even though it was like everything around it. Like, if you watch these kind of things, you like, you know, um, which was kind of fun. Um, I think my other low light though was like, just like the, I was so excited to see the Hardy boys back because they're like one of the things that really got me into wrestling the first time. But then like watching them move in the arena was equally upsetting. It was a full roller coaster for me because I was like, I, I don't know, like they just should not be doing that obviously anymore. And it's kind of sad to see them trying to do things they can't do. Yeah, if you're listening, Matt and Jeff, because I know you're listeners of this podcast, uh, I know you're doing another ladder match, but from our podcast to you, please retire. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Brutal. Yeah, it's true. I like. I know Matt. Like, I don't. It doesn't look like it hurts him, but Matt, like moving his hips, like how he kind of has to move his whole body. It just looks like. Uh, porcelain waiting to break or something but um i think i have like an inverse of like what cb was saying like i i kind of thought maybe Anna would win too but i kind of always think the challenger will win in matches you know there might be a title change tonight but they had added that jade versus anna J match like that friday i think and anna had already challenged for it and it wasn't um it wasn't, uh, there wasn't anything kind of tying this match to that match. Um, and Jade, 
Eh, you know, jade jade is is um, fair fairly green as well, uh, which you would probably say, which means money. But uh, in this match, it just kind of I don't know, like the pushes the push is kind of weird because of who who left it is there for jade to wrestle? You know, like Rosa and Britt, and they they're not going to do that, and like. We kind of know why, unless she just like squashes one of them and goes into superstardom. But then she's got to have tight, you know, world title matches. So I was just, I I like both of Jade and Anna, but I think they deserve better. So I think that was more like the low light angle for me. I just want to see um, more for them. But I, after rewatching, I can say the anarchy in the arena. CB, I totally hear you. It was more disorienting somehow in the arena. Like we had even less of an idea. <laughs> like rewatching it on TV, at least I was like, "Oh, that was going on in that hallway," or "That's when that mustard got squirted there," or like a lot. A few of us had missed when Jericho unplugged the mu- music, which was a great hill. That move. was a great moment. <laughs> it yeah. was great, but they needed to turn it back on. It was like. I loved like the new Jack kind of um, or Sandman kind of like vibe of just playing that music through the thing, and having the soundtrack like this ridiculous cover of Wild Thing playing while it, like, it, you know, it wasn't like a technical masterpiece or anything, but the the vibe in the arena was, it was um, it was just notched up higher than anything. And was much um, more energetic than it had any right to be at that. Like, I think we were already three days into the show by that point, so everyone was so <laughs> tired. But it, that was that was a riot, or it was anarchy, as they say. Yeah, it was like a shot at the general. I can't. I, yeah, it's like a legit five star match. <laughs> like, uh, like I don't dissuade that opinion, even though it is kind of like very chaotic to watch. But it's kind of like by design. I would say like the Jade and Anna. That's the other match that I would probably say the low light. Uh, I think it, like the low light was the match itself. I, I just felt the match could have used a better build and felt very clunky. And but I think it was more of an angle match where it's like the the whole purpose of that match was to build the post match angle of oh Stokely halfways in AEW and he's the publicist of Jade now and oh Athena has finally debuted with AEW and she's challenging Jade so. I can see why they were just like going through the motions in that match. It felt like uh, highlights. I mean, we saw CM Punk win the title. That's <laughs> yeah. My only thought about Athena, and I mentioned this, is uh, you know she'll probably do a match with Jade, lose that match, and then be on Dark in a month. <laughs> you know, I-, I could be wrong, but that's what it feels like. I feel like Tony Khan picks up these. Uh, these wrestlers, and then is like, oh, these guys are cool, and then you know, it gets tired of them after like a week or two, and then okay, off to dark with you to train, and then picks up new, and then the cycle repeats. Mm-hmm. So anyway, moving on. Um, I think I'll talk about my lowlights for Los Angeles, my highlights and lowlights for the LA show for Dynamite uh, the following week. I have a couple lowlights, honestly. Um, my first low light is I had to sit in accessible seating away from the rest of the podcast crew. Uh, and that really was not great. Um, I, I got a, I had a good view of the ring and everything, 
but I would really have liked to have sat with my friends. Um, that would have been really cool. Uh, Maria? Yeah, no, huge low light. Like, what the fuck? That, is, that was one of the most inaccessible experiences, I feel like. Like, it's so frustrating to see places operating like this still. Um, and like just doing the absolute bare minimum because like I was calling to try to get us seated together and like when I finally got somebody on the phone they're like well legally if somebody shows up in a wheelchair we do have to move them and it's like that is just so like <laughs> like do you hear the words you're saying um, but I it was fun we had a great time I mean yeah, CM Punk was great again, even though he was injured or injured himself, I guess, during the match. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I thought it was an all-around good show, even though we it felt weird. Like, like, we had some repeats, I feel like, from the weekend. Like, having the rematch, basically, between Britt and Ruby. Like, we just wrestled. We didn't build anything up between the two days, really. I felt like it was kind of like a weird choice. I felt like, I don't know. The other little light, I guess, for, for me was getting pulled over on the way home by the popo. Um, uh, you know, my fr- uh, Jonathan, our uh, occasional run-in, get- friend of the pod, uh, we were on our way home back to San Diego and we got pulled over. Uh, and I had to remind dear old Jonathan to not say anything. And he didn't have to say anything about when the cop asked him how much he had been drinking that night or where he was going. So... Yeah, um, but my highlight was just being there for my first wrestling show. I was really excited. Uh, that was really cool. I just wish I could have been with my friends. So. Yeah, I had actually um, met Dan Housen the night before, and it was funny. That was the only thing he broke character on, I felt like, was like talking about the traffic, trying to get between the two and stuff like that. I would say, yeah, that's kind of typical for big pay-per-views. They kind of, like, the show afterwards, they kind of rerun stuff. They want to, like, because... I think they were like the Brit and uh, Ruby. I think they may have been made good for Ruby for because she kind of put a brave face going on in that match. Coming out with Rancid. That was also cool seeing Rancid play like, the whole song really well. But uh, Yeah, I'll, I'll name some things. We Since we were in the building, I, I got there a little early and was able to see... Uh, uh, I think I ended up on Dark Elevation. Um, it was a really good tag match. Uh, it was Nyla Rose and Serena Deeb versus Sky Blue and Miyu Yamashita, who was awesome. Um, and that match, you know, it was nothing like it was not five stars or whatever, but it was it was really cool. Um, I think like an influx of like really good, like technically good um, female wrestlers is is only good good for the company. And Yamashita was. Um, she was really good and like believably um, competitive against Nyla and Serena. Um, I think kind of had to win the match. But um, for that LA show, Dynamite proper, I think the the high and low. Uh, not that we're you know we're probably the last the last gang in town to talk about MJF and all this stuff going on with him. But the I mean. The positive, of course, is that promo. I mean, there was just so many like provocative things, and what else is there left to say about it? It's kind of just like hit. He hit a grand slam, but 
the low is that he had a grand slam and where was Wardlow's time on the mic? We spent like over a couple years building this guy up. He absolutely smothered MJF like 10 power bombs. I don't know if this dude could have lost more steam over the course of three days. And then what did he get in? He's embroiled in a feud with with smart Mark Sterling. Like, welcome back to dark, my friend. Like, I cannot believe. I, I, I don't know how you don't strap a rocket or whatever, as they say to MJF, because the whole thing is just riding itself, and he's just playing it as as about as good as the. Uh, as you can in this these meta times of uh, 2022 wrestling. But Wardlow, with the amount of time that they put into this dude, for anyone who hasn't seen, he was like the MJ of Lackey for like two and a half plus years. Absolutely squashes MJF at the pay-per-view. And now is just kind of... Uh, spinning here like and and there was a dynamite again last week or last night where i think he 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 explained why he didn't want the world title because he wants to take it from his bff cm punk it's just like who would ever say this dumb shit like there were like 20 people in that battle royal who were like i'm down i don't i don't care who the champ is but wardlow was like is this supposed to be like a super baby face move that he doesn't want to take I just don't know how they could have stalled out on Wardlow any harder. So that, that I don't really care either way. Wardlow, it, it just ain't for me. Uh, I, I, I like a bunch of other people and want to see them succeed a little more. I think we've had enough like big white meathead dudes <clears throat> holding court for long enough, but really he should be in a slightly different place. Just to like counter a little bit is my as I am to do sometimes, like the with the Wardlow thing, like the diamond. Like I feel like, yeah, it kind of was weird that he kind of like buried the whole interim championship thing. But it was kind of like, and also like the Mark Sterling stuff seems just like a very short like close a tie on that next week. That what's well, gonna be funny like twenty him just power bombing twenty people, which I'll probably laugh a lot at. Um, I do like the idea of him taking the TNT belt, like and like what he said like actually like playing some legitimacy back to it after like the five months of bullshit it's been through with cody Rhodes, sammy guevara and this whole garbage feud that happened and it's just like a fresh restart to a title that was meant to that brody lee kind of like legitimized so that's just my stance on it like i just feel like he might be a tnt guy and then like upgrade to a world title soon but that's just my take on it <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I, I just want to say that, like, uh, yeah, they stumbled right after the whole squash match at the pay-per-view. Um, I think that was a mistake. That whole exchange with Mark Sterling and the security guards, it's like, it's funny for YouTube, to but to put it on actual TV, I, I, it just didn't work. Um... I do like the fact that they're trying to get the TNT title back from being buried in Sammy and Tay's whatever. Uh, so hopefully, I think that's why they went with a new design for it to get that kind of image out of people's heads. So we'll see. Um, I was thinking, like, I was going to 
talk about like the MJF thing kind of surprised me coming out of it. First of all, it was amazing to see uh, like the crowd flip so quickly over the course of that thing, um, like over the course of his time on the mic. But also I noticed a lot of people talking about how much wrestlers get paid or like the starting salaries at AEW just being so low still, even though they are supposed to be like, you know, better for the wrestlers or whatever. Like seeing like 40,000 or something as a starting salary and knowing that these guys have to pay for their healthcare out of pocket on top of that and like how much healthcare they probably need is kind of like a wild thing to to actually like imagine yeah just to bring up a point uh $40,000 is what I was making as a uh, state of California employee about three years ago and I was and I got benefits and I was in a union so I was doing better than some starting wrestlers uh as an office technician so that's something to really think about yeah this this brings up so much so much stuff around this um like a bigger thoughts about like the wrestling and how it's structured so like everyone should be paid equal right like everyone is helping make this show run the ring crew justin roberts every everyone so there's no reason why Tony Khan should be taking home millions and every, you know, anyone should to be getting paid for a week, a episodic television show. We know what actors get, right? This is not the same. So like really in the, in our perfect, right. Full, full, uh, luxury, uh, gay communism world or whatever that everyone's getting paid equal. Right. So if, 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 if wrestling is a work, which it is, then you pay equal. When you structure it where the champion, which is a work, that is a prop, right? You are taking it into shoot territory and honoring it in a way that makes it real. When You know, not that it's not real, it's still real to us, right? But if it's a work, which it is, but you give someone a belt and you pay them more after you give them that belt based on whatever, what are they basing off of, right? Like all kinds of like preconceptions of what it's like to be normal or muscular or charismatic or historically white. Like I think the companies work themselves when they have these pay discrepancies. So whether it's real for MJF or not, the thing he's bringing up and I think he would rather be at the top of his pyramid, but really everyone should be sharing this pool of money that this company is making. So a, a, just a couple other thoughts in case this, I, I think this is all a work and MJF would, would be happy to stay in AEW. They basically made him unless he's just totally a scumbag and wants to go to WWE. But he would be a manager in WWE. Like, there's no way he doesn't become a manager if he goes there. Like, he's not, like, just just talking straight, like, using WWE logic. He's, like, inches short and, like, steroids, uh, steroid shots fewer than, like, the, the typical, like, guy on top. And something he would have to ask himself is why would you use the social capital that you've gained in AEW to boost WWE's product like Cody has or like Drew McIntyre did on the indies 
why would you go back to the place that burned you and would have left you out without a job to go back and essentially give it all back to this company that doesn't even let you have an OnlyFans? Like they don't really care about you like succeeding on your own. And so the last point is that AEW exists against all odds with regards to WWE. So why would you embolden that company once you get any value on you and give it right back to WWE? It's just a huge trap, but it probably also speaks to wrestlers getting paid 40 fucking grand for being an AEW. And I can't blame them for wanting to make money. But if you, if you take WWE to the top, AEW won't... You know, there's a threat that it won't exist again. We've seen historically WWE does their best to wipe out smaller companies. So it's just something for these dudes to think about as they try to go back and take all the popularity and social capital that they've gained here or in the indies and dump it right back into the WWE shitstorm. Uh, well, I wanted to thank DQ for that uh, very great intro to our next uh, <laughs> topic. Um because I think we saw like something at that dynamite that well people would be talking about for years, um, and I think that you just touched on one of the reasons why uh, MJF's quote unquote pipe bomb uh, promo. Um, it was really it, yeah, it was really great to watch. It was uh, interesting, like Maria said, to see how quickly the crowd could go from booing. To like cheering, to booing, to cheering, uh, and that's just a, a a really great indicator of how good MJF MJF is on the mic and how he's like a generational talent, like he says he is. Because uh, I haven't seen that in a while. I've always been kind of lukewarm on MJF, like in terms of like promos. Like I think like he can really get into like his style where he's like very like low bar. Like he can be very like going insulting the, the local town type promos and they can be very misogynistic and annoying and i kind of roll my eyes at that like he is definitely like a lover of like roddy piper and brian pillman uh, brian pillman like in this felt very much like brian pillman like calling tony Khan mark just feels like when brian pillman was in ecw like his first appearance was like this very legendary shoot promo or work shoot promo calling crowd marks basically um yeah it's uh it's interesting knowing some of the business from the inside people i talk to or just listen to about like where tony why they aren't being paid more like like tony's kind of stringing them along like saying like, we, we need to go to 2024 where this tv deal and that's where the big money's gonna come and it's always like one of those deals and like i could see why some talent like is like sees WWE like there's also like the fact that MJF, like one of his best friends is Cody Rhodes and uh, Cody, like he wanted to go back to WWE because he's like a prodigy, he thought was a prodigal son type deal. Um, and like, he's a asset to them now where he can like, get into, he can be the devil on sh people's shoulders ears now if AEW feels like, yeah, I came there and like, like Vince loves people who just jump from companies and like take it and like, grab the brass ring and stuff like that, you know, and just like, I can see uh, him trying to convince MJF. I've also heard MJF has been interested in like Hollywood, like getting into acting and stuff, which means you get a sad card, which, you know, 
that's a union thing maybe more wrestlers went to like do acting they would learn hey maybe a union's good you know maybe we should also create a union in wrestling but uh yeah and there's just interesting things about like mg like i i seriously need some of the reports like who knows what's real and what's not at this point him if he was not telling his friends that this was a like if he was not responding to his friends he's an asshole i'll say that because there were some like reports that like some of his friends were like doing wellness checks on him and he wasn't answering like that's just like being too much and going like going to the brian pillman of trying to make it oh what nothing's real nothing's fake man i'm just like i'm a loose cannons deal and it's like i can find that's what annoys me about mjf sometimes he just can't turn it off like i get sometimes wrestlers they're sometimes their personalities are just amplified but like mjf like if you watch him like go to shows he'll like or like meet and greets they shows up at um he'll like keep the heels chick and be shitty to the fans but i guess the fans are kind of coming and expecting he's gonna be shitty to them <laughs> It's almost like going to like an insult bar or something where you're kind of expecting you're gonna get like treated like shit. But <laughs> yeah, it's just my ramble on it. Like I think it was a great promo. It'll be interesting. Like I think at the ball, like, at this point, the only people who know what's really happening is just him and Tony Khan. And it'll be interesting if Tony will break. Yeah, I I just want to say that I don't care if it's a worker shoot. I'm just enjoying it. Yeah. For what it is, I think that's. Uh, I really, and I'm just enjoying the, the angle or whatever, the plot line. Uh, I could care less whether or not it's real. Uh, if it's real, I want MJF to get his bag, obviously. Um, but whatever, I'm going to just enjoy it. I'm along for the ride. Yeah, you can follow Cody. We're, I just want to say we're on the 11th week. The countdown to Stardust continues. And now that Cody has been, um, injured and that, Obviously, very terrible, but also the death knell of the week. We don't even have. Uh, I guess he did wrestle with a what is it like a torn, torn pectoral torn right off the bone. I mean that that you would give WWE your health like that. Um, I don't know. That's almost like the death knell of Cody of the week. Uh, some weird mashup of uh, countdown to Stardust and the death knell, but. Yeah, MJF should follow him if that's what he wants. There's just no way they would have um, <clears throat> kept that mic as hot as it was for that whole interview, and he wouldn't have uh, taken ten power bombs from from Wardlow. Uh, I'm afraid his his friends doing check-ins were worked. Yeah, I'm not sure Vince would have allowed him to talk about him the same way he he talked about Tony. Uh, <laughs> just a guess, though. But I mean, like thinking about. Cody's injuries, but also just like I felt like coming out of Double or Nothing, coming out of the show in LA at the forum and stuff, it felt like so many wrestlers got injured. Not just like Jeff Hardy, who again should not be trying to do these things when he's at the age he is at and has done so many rough spots, but like, you know, obviously with CM Punk having to like take the surgery and stuff like that. Just trying to think about how. How, how there's like enough how we're able to give wrestlers like almost like enough space to like not do these things like is it like pressure inside of the company are they trying to push this on themselves i'm sure it's a bit of both but like also i don't know um there there's a matter of safety there that i just feel like isn't isn't being almost taken seriously right now it almost felt like thanks maria for that intro to our topic 
Um, Matt, I think I think I saw a tweet from Matt the other day that was saying, you know, fans' expectations during the past 20 years that they have been wrestling have been increasing ever since. Uh, you know, they did the first ladder match like in 2006, and that was wild at the time. And ever since then, they have to go to more and more extremes to get the same kind of like reaction from the crowd. Uh, I'm not sure if that's a great thing, to be honest, because uh, I want wrestlers to have a great, a long career. Um, granted, Matt and Jeff Hardy have been wrestling for, I don't know, 20 years or so now at this point, but it's way too long. It's too long at the style they're doing. If they went to a more safe style, they could keep wrestling for maybe another 10 or 15 years. So, yeah. I could totally see them becoming, like, managers and stuff like that and helping with some of the newer guys and that being, like, a totally cool spot for them to hang out in. What are you thinking, Zach? That's what Matt was doing for the past year with the HMO. He was, like, being a manager. Um, Yeah, they wrestled... I think the... the, uh, Hardy Boys first ladder match was probably two thousand. I mean, there's the TLC match, which was like WrestleMania 17. So it's they've been wrestling. It's kind of funny when you bring up like they don't wrestle that style. They can be like uh, Mexican luchadors. Some of them wrestling to their 70s or something. Or like there's uh, Japan also has some guys that like go for the Bower Royals. So it's like gimmicks. They're also kind of like ancient. But uh, yeah, it's like it feels like what happened. This week was kind of a mixture of just shit happened sometimes. I feel like, I mean, Thunder Rosa didn't show up. Everyone's like, oh, she was injured, or how their AEW didn't book their women's championship match, but it turned out she was sick. She probably got COVID. Like, a lot of people did. It probably don't wear nothing. But, um, like, CM Punk, from what I understand, it might have been like, I heard it was like from jumping in the crowd. It might have just been like a weird shit happens type. Like, you just, like, it wasn't like just a freak accident. Sometimes there's just freak accidents. Um, Sometimes it's just people like Brian Danielson who are just crazy people that will just uh, wrestle. And I don't even know what injury. I mean, it's only a one to two week injury, so it's not been that bad. And Cole might have been just like maintenance because he's been wrestling so much. Um, yeah, there's ways of mitigating it. There's like, don't make them wrestle week to week. Maybe like spread them out. Maybe cycle through them better. Um them on commentary sometimes if you want to like have them on the show to build their feud have have their feud person they're fighting like wrestle against a different person so it highlights a different person while you can still have a person that's feuding with them talk and like build it um yeah it's just injuries can be weird i feel like it's just one is like and then you have people like cody who are just completely insane wrestling with a torn protector bone just for I assume just like appealing to Vince's like, like insane brain, where he's like, "Oh, he's he's wrestling with a torn pec. He must love the like. He's really a company man." Mm-hmm. That's disgusting. You know that's what's going on. Like, at least Cody hoping it lands like that. Like, one one thing it, it does open at least um, in the case with uh, CM Punk getting injured is these cool like uh open kind of creative moments where now we've got a even though they're saying billing as an interim champion um now we've got this kind of opportunity to do something that clearly wasn't planned for the next month which is to crown a new champion 
which I'm assuming CM Punk probably would have retained against uh, Tanahashi if that were for the title at the Forbidden Door. But I, I do like the the kind of like fortuitous um, opportunity that comes up sometimes when dudes um, who hold titles or hold um, positions at the top get injured. So I would never wish, of course, for CM Punk or anyone to get injured. But it was kind of you know watching the Battle Royal last night, even though it ended up with Mox. Uh, so like Kyle O'Reilly. Um, wait, yeah, I guess Maria hasn't watched it yet. Um, uh, earmuffs. Spoilers. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, it it looks like status quo. Probably, I can't see Moxley losing. I mean, first off, I can't see Tanahashi losing to Hiroki Goto. Like for anyone who follows New Japan, knows that that's just kind of a a foregone conclusion. Right. There's no <laughs> way like Tanahashi's gonna lose to Go. I mean, maybe he does, but it's just like the pecking order there is such that that's that's kind of a foregone conclusion but for for a fleeting moment there there was the battle royal and our guy ricky starks was in there holding court for a little over half of it yeah he didn't it's not like he came down to the last four or five but yeah all of a sudden the daniel garcia's and ricky starks's and the phoenixes are in the ring and we've got to crown a new champion and i don't know i like those little possibilities it, it opens because especially with a company like uh, AEW or New Japan for that matter they're so meticulously booked sometimes so far in advance um, that there there are surprises but it's pretty evident you know like someone like Hangman was going to end up champion but here we got a glimpse into a, a little what if scenario that wasn't there before like your boy Wheeler Yuta I was like, a CB would know this because we were watching it on uh, stream as we normally do. It's like, I was like saying, oh, he's going to win and he's going to have that rematch with Mox. Like, really, like, show how much he's grown and just like, he's going to face Tanahashi somehow. And <laughs> I wasn't going that far, but like, uh, I do feel bad for Goto. He is always, for reference, he's like one of those guys who just always, like, any big match, he just always it always slips away. He's like the Eddie. Oh, I wouldn't say he's like the Eddie Kingston, but he's a, he's def, completely different from Eddie Kingston. But he's still like that guy who always gets to the, like press a bin and like falls face down. <laughs> just to go to go back to the injuries aspect, uh, Zach and I were talking about like off seasons for wrestling companies um, to give their the wrestlers a break because every other sporting event sports entertainment if you will uh uh you know has some kind of off season um but wrestling doesn't uh and uh zach being the big brain that he is uh mentioned that uh for the wwe for example he, they could go uh have an off season during the, the nfl season uh <laughs> tv does not love jericho by the way Sorry, I got distracted by chat of the podcast crew. Uh, CB hates Jericho. Jericho, I hate you. Just putting it out there. Uh, Nate, friend of the podcast, is one that mentioned that off-season stuff. Uh, and then the AEW could do um, like uh, NBA playoffs and NHL playoffs, uh, so that they don't have to compete or get their schedules rearranged or whatever, uh, just to give the wrestlers a break. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that sounds like a great idea. And I mean, we've talked about before on the podcast too, there's so many people who are assigned to AEW right now. There's no reason necessarily that like, you know, CM Punk has to wrestle every single night. I mean, I know people want to see him, but like, it's not necessarily worth it to have for, to have him be out every single night and get an injury and have to be out for however long. It would be much better for them to like rotate people through better, even within the shows that they have booked. I, I would like, I just, uh, it's me like just seeing the limitations of our capitalist society, knowing that like, I wish there would be off-season wrestling. I just feel like powers that be that we need to fight. Well, just like they, they, the whole purpose of why TV pays for wrestling is because it's always a constant. Like it's always a, it's always like a thing that gets X amount of people every week, and that's the unfortunate reality. But I wish there was an off-season. But like in terms of retaining um, talent, yeah, like I think AEW does it a little better than WWE in some ways. Like I wish. Um, you make like CM Punk. You, know, you say you could probably have him be commentary. He's a really good commentator if you want him like on your show. Make him wrestling more of a special attraction. You can always like make some of those guys special attractions. But like, I think they've shown that they've been able to like cycle through guys and like still be able to run. Like Moxley had to leave for not like for mental health, or, like for his uh, mental health and other reasons. He. He left and the show still chugged along pretty good with him. Like, we're currently month six or something, or like eight months since Kenny Omega last showed up as he's been recovering, getting injected with God knows what to fix his knees. <laughs> uh, yeah, like, I think the cycling needs to be improved. It could be, there's ways to fix this. Um, yeah, like, compromise might be just like staggering the talent too like if they like zach says it would be holding to this tv schedule that demands a weekly show you know having uh, a month or two off for, for wrestlers maybe they know it internally and they don't have to tell us so you know we don't know that the one or two month break is coming up but though just a point where people can go home and kind of chill with their families and um, glue their pecs back onto the bone or whatever. Um, one thing with AEW too that it might help is I really um, I admire that they came out of the gate saying you know, the records matter, wins and losses matter. But at this point, it's kind of a joke where like Darby Allen will come out and the the Chiron will will pop up on the screen and it'll be like eighty six wins and twenty one losses and it's like what does that even mean like you know like some people are like 32 and four and it's like okay so darby's like 23 and a half games in first place ahead of this person like there's no there's no like strength of schedule things that would actually like factor in so it would also maybe more of like a season type of uh structure would help them uh, make the wins and losses and records actually matter than rather just saying they do. Yeah, I was going to say uh, in the build up to Anna Jay's match with Jade Cargill, they were like, Anna Jay is like 6 0 in her last matches, but they were all on dark. So it doesn't. It, and they were like, so. And it was tag matches. It, like, woo. Yeah, it's like quality of opponent. Like, I do do. I think they do re like set every year. They re- reset the schedule, like the records, but they like keep the overall records and just like it's become very unwieldy because there's no analytics. Like 
you can't find a war of war percent mm-hmm. of like your wins above replacement with like I guess job, jobber matches are just less quality wins. Like if you just keep squashing jobbers, you're not gonna grind your way to a world championship match. You have to like get some quality wins. Yeah, I think that's uh, as unwieldy thing. I think it's just react is overreaction now. WWE is very much um, wins and winners don't losses. It's just about the brand. Like they like they try. This is like a consequence of them trying to like really step out inside of that well uh everybody here at the podcast is really tired <laughs> and recovering we're struggling. <laughs> we're struggling everybody's struggling but zach has a pearl of wisdom for everybody yeah i just want to thank our fans this is the first post uh abortion fundathon uh, i think we raised because of how the website works once the thing's over i can't access the exact number i had but we uh raised like i think personally our group raised 328 dollars uh 500 goal we had hopefully next year we'll do better <laughs> i don't want it like that but like our chapter uh pittsburgh dsa raised uh, about thirteen thousand dollars for what Jeez. we did for choice that's nice it's nice and I think they overall raised like 38,000 Western PA fucking choice, not including the donations they got outside of it. So, uh, shouts to my comrade Crystal. Um, not a wrestling fan, but she is one of the best, uh, fortune fundraising or people I know. Really helps me out in this stuff. So, yeah, like I'm really happy we were able to do this. I'm really getting happy that we were able to meet in Vegas. I'm hoping since Tony Khan, for all his faults, says, that he wants to keep double or nothing in Vegas uh, and like extreme, he said in extremely Terry Funk voice of forever of just <laughs> shouting forever like five times. <laughs> um, I'm Tony, hoping, Tony. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hopefully we can keep doing it. Like, if I was able to plan, if we were able to plan what we did in three months, we can plan it in like six months and probably have like much better idea <laughs> than maybe have a whole casino to ourselves honestly this next time <laughs> yeah i'll say too um uh thanks to my comrades here and co-host the podcast it was a really cool trip including the la uh running by cb running in all the way from san diego mm. and coming to hang out after it was really nice and <clears throat> just wanted a special shout out to uh we noted the las vegas comrades there who help keep the DSA uh, organization running there. It's like a really sweet vibe. Um, Sean and Minnie and others we named earlier. There's a very cool crew. So I'm sure they're all listening now since we roped them into this podcast. And um, But yeah, that's, uh, that's, yeah, it was cool vibes. Um, had a very fun trip. Yeah, Join your local great team. Team. You're gonna say that again. I don't interrupt you. <laughs> I like that. I uh, I like that it overlapped. <laughs> I was gonna say. I, I mean, yeah. Thanks so much to like the Vegas comrades for the hospitality. If you are listening, but also like our trip friends, like Joanna and Jonathan, for coming out with us. And in LA, we had uh, Ariadne and Joanna and Bellamy all joined us too. It was great to see everyone and like share some wrestling. I want to give one last final shout out to Austin, uh, who <laughs> can be on this show tonight, but again, creative, different for him. Um, it's great being your roommate for those six nights. Um, I, 
you know, make a shout, I call out to release the cake vending machine video that you took. <laughs> it was really funny, and I want, I want it to post on the Twitter. Um, yeah, enjoy your trip. <laughs> I wish I could go. I, I want to say I wish I could go on your cross country trip right now. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, have a good night, and thanks for listening to the Proletariat Lariat. <laughs>